happy January. It's the beginning of the year. It's the time where we are all setting goals. We're making resolutions. We're saying and doing all the things, making lists of things that we want to change and be better at this year. And maybe for you, that thing is saving money and being wiser with your spending. And so if that is, I want to encourage you to go check out Homeland Credit Union and have them help you. If you are looking to save more in 2024, Homeland can help you. They have a lot of great savings options, including CDs, youth savings, Christmas club, and more. You can give them a call or visit their website to learn more. You can contact them by phone 740-775-3331 or go to their website www.homelandcu.com. Their staff is incredible. They are super helpful and it's a local business that cares about your family, cares about you, and goes above and beyond to do whatever they can do to help you meet all of your goals. So go check them out and let them know Elena sent you. Hi there, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Pour It Out with Alana Beverly. I am your host, Alana, and I'm super excited to have you join me today. Today on the podcast, oh my goodness, this is so, so special. So I used to sit down and once a month I would chat with a pastor, a local pastor here in our area. Well, this year I am going to put that to the side for just a little bit and we are going to hear from some local pastor's wives in our area. And first up, we have my pastor, Pastor Nikki Pfeiffer, and she shares her story in such a real, such a vulnerable way that is so powerful, so beautiful, and I am so excited for you to hear it. Now, I go to Open Door Church, and she recently shared her story in front of the whole church just a few weeks ago, so it's still pretty fresh for everybody Uh, that goes to our church. And so if that is you, I would encourage you to still listen because it's easy to say, well, I just heard that a few weeks ago, but she shares different aspects of it, different parts of it. So still take a listen. Also, I have heard her story several times um, in the, during the time that we have been at the church and every single time I hear it, it's powerful. And every single time I hear it, I am inspired. I am challenged. I am encouraged. And I just feel closer to the Lord, want to be closer to the Lord, am just blown away by who he is and how faithful he is. So I just ask you, no matter if you've already heard it, if you've heard it 50 times, still take a listen uh, and just hear what the Lord wants to speak to you through it. And if you do not know Pastor Nikki, um, then I pray that this will open um, your eyes and your ears and your heart to just the blessing that she is to every single person she comes in contact with. She's so real. She's so down to earth. And her story is, it's just powerful. Um, It's about depression and it's about how the Lord brought her out of that pit of depression and redeemed her and healed her. And so I just invite you grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and join us as we pour it out. Well, hi, Nikki. 
Hi, Elena. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me. We've had a good little chat leading up to this, so I'm excited to dig in. Um, to get started, how about you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'd love to. Um, my name is Nikki Pfeiffer. Um, my husband is Mark Pfeiffer. So those of you that are familiar with the area probably know him. Uh, we pastor Open Door Church. We're in our 32nd year. Oh my goodness. Uh, which is amazing because I'm only 40. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm lying totally. But um, And we have three children. They're all adults. And we have five grandchildren thus far. So exciting. So exciting. Life is great. Mm -hmm. And busy because you were at all the things with all of the great ones. <laughs> well, I try to be. <laughs> um, well, it's so interesting. I have wanted to have you on for a long time and I just felt like I wanted to wait. And um, I had been feeling like it was the time and I was getting really excited and I was going to ask you. And then before I had an opportunity to ask, I saw where you were going to be sharing your story at church. And it just felt like the Lord was like, now, <laughs> like this mm -hmm. is the confirmation. Um, and so this past week, you got to share your story um, at church. And um, so it's just really, really fresh. So we're going to roll off of that. And um I'm just going to turn the mic over to you and let you do your thing. And then we'll just chat through it. Okay. Thank you. Um, I think I'm going to start out just by, by this is that um, everybody has a story and uh, everybody needs to share their story and your story is worth sharing. It's worth telling. And uh, I know a lot of people don't like their story because it reminds them of hurt and pain and suffering and sometimes abuse a loss of innocence, all those things. But um, telling your story is not really about you so much as about hopefully helping someone else when you tell your story. And I know that there are a lot of people probably today that are listening that um, can relate to my story. And it's not a pretty story to start out with, actually. And uh, I used to not like to share my story when I would be invited to conferences or even just to fulfill the pulpit. Um, I would always feel like, ah, oh, this is not a pretty picture and, and, uh, I don't like to really share that, but, um, it's a story of redemption and it's a story of hope. And it's a story that God can truly change your life, transform you. And, uh, and I'm a living example of that. So my prayer is, is that I share this today is that if you're struggling and you can relate to the things that I'm sharing that, that, uh, you will turn to God, as I did, obviously, and really allow him to heal you and to set you free and to put you on the right path. And uh, and I know that he can do that. And so my story begins that, um, well, let me back up and share a little bit about depression, because that is, if I had to name my story, I would say that's what it was. It was depression. And uh, I want to give just a little bit of statistics because I think it's staggering but 30% of people will deal with depression sometime in your life. And that means one in three people. And that's a pretty significant number. One out of five people have thoughts of suicide at some point in their life. And not just a fleeting thought, but consideration. And finally, the last statistic is that 50,000 people in 2023, last year, committed suicide. That's crazy true and a lot of that was spurred from people dealing with depression mm -hmm. and depression is ugly 
it's crippling. It affects everything you do. It affects how you think. It affects how you feel. It affects how you behave. It gives you the sense that you're not normal. It makes you think that something's wrong with you. Depression leaves you feeling hopeless. Depression makes you think I'll never be happy. Happiness isn't for me. I'll never change. Depression is crippling. It takes your breath away. It holds you back from living to the fullest. And depression takes you to a place that you never thought you would go. And sometimes depression makes you believe that life isn't worth living anymore. So that's kind of where my story begins. Um, it probably was about 40 years ago, probably would have been about 1982, I suppose. And I was in college and I had my life all planned out and I was a Christian. I got saved when I was six, gave my life to Jesus and served him. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God knows the thoughts and the plans for you, good plans, good thoughts, good things to happen in your life. And it says to give you a hope and a future. And that word hope means the things that you've longed for and the future means expected end so god has placed things in our hearts that we hope for and then he has a plan to get us to that and where he expects us to end up mm -hmm. and um for me i think i adopted my own plan and maybe not really listened to what god said my plan was and it seemed like a good plan to me and my plan was that um I wanted to be a doctor. I had studied and worked very hard in, in junior high and high school um, to have a good grade point average and to succeed in school. And I was in my second year in pre-med and um, I was visiting um, colleges, medical schools, and I was studying for the MCAT, which is a medical college admission test. And uh, I was a good candidate, I thought, and others thought to be um, accepted into medical school. So that was my plan. And um, I think God had other plans, but probably like a lot of people you listening that are listening today is that we come up with a plan and it seems good to us, but God has a way of turning our plans around to that expected end, which is his end and not necessarily mine. Mm -hmm. So that was my plan. And I was in the midst of that plan. And then I met a boy. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and that's Mark, obviously. And uh, at that time, Mark was um, planning on being a pastor. And uh, I knew that we fell in love, obviously. And I knew that if he was going to be a pastor, that would make me a pastor's wife. And it would be very difficult. Mind you, this was many, many years ago. It'd be very difficult in that season for me to go to medical school, to be married, to have children, and to be a pastor's wife. And I knew that that was a life that I wouldn't be able to pursue. And so I changed my course of schooling and, uh, and I gave up that dream to not to be a doctor and, and chose to come along and be with him. And I was excited because I adopted another plan. <laughs> and um, my plan then was, was that he was going to pastor as he had planned and that I would be this precious little pastor's wife that sat on the front row and I couldn't play the piano and I couldn't sing too bad for that, but um, I could sit on the front row and then I could have 
parties for the women of the church and life would be great and we would be happy. And uh, so that was my plan. And it was all going well until while he was in college and he was an evangelist, which means that he traveled around and he preached at different places and in state and out of state. And uh, if you've ever sat under Mark, he is an incredible teacher and minister, mm-hmm. and he's a preacher. And <clears throat> as you probably know, he's very gifted, and he was very much in demand at that time, as, even as a young man. And so he had a lot of engagements. And during that course of time, I got pregnant and uh, later on, obviously, had our first child a couple years after we were married. But he would travel around the country as an evangelist, and I was still okay with that for the most part. Because my plan was that he would eventually pastor and I would get my plan in action, all the things that, that I've described to you. And um, what happened was that when he graduated college, he chose to stay traveling. He chose to stay um, as an evangelist. And that was God's plan, obviously. It was not mine, but it was God's. And um, so he began to travel a lot. And I was home. And I was home alone. and. Um, I was working full time. I was at home alone, but I was also very lonely. And later on, I became became a mother. And at times, I even felt like a single mother. But um, I began to sink into depression. And I remember the first time that I was really sad. And I share this. It's kind of a recent revelation. It's interesting how all these years later, God still will reveal things to us. And uh, probably even as you're listening, God's probably bringing up some things in your life that maybe you've not thought about for a long time. But for me, it happened a couple of weeks ago. And and uh, I remember the first time that I was really sad. I mean, like really sad. And as a child, I was happy. I never dealt with depression. Um, I had a great upbringing. I had parents that loved me and uh, life was really good for me. And, uh, but I remember the first time I was sad, I was standing in front of a picture window and Mark was out traveling and it was snowy and this was the day before cell phones. And so I was very worried that he might not make it home because of the weather. And, uh, and I started to cry and then I really began to cry and I cried for what seemed like a long time. And I was just terribly, terribly sad. I was so alone and lonely and, uh, I really believe that in that moment, something opened up inside of me that I began to own that loneliness. I began to own that sadness. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that that sin crouches at the door for an entryway into Mm -hmm. your life. And I think that Mm -hmm. in that moment, I didn't even realize it. I mean, I, I would never have had this happen, but I didn't even realize it. But I really let my guard down, and uh, and I think the enemy took advantage of that and brought a sense of like that extreme sadness to where it opened the door for depression to enter my life. Mm-hmm. Because you kind of claimed it as your identity, like yeah, I owned it. Mm-hmm. I owned it, and I it became reality to me. You know, the more you believe a lie, and the lie was that. I'll never be happy. I'll never be happy again. Um, God doesn't have happiness for me. And the more you believe a lie, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more you believe it, the more it becomes true. Yeah. And so the more that I believe that I had 
depression that I would always be depressed and I'd never be free, the more I became depressed. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I became to the depressed to the part that I didn't want to get up in the morning. And, you know, I used to be really ashamed to even share this part of the story because it's so ugly and um, it's so far removed from who I am today. And uh, it's just a testimony of the power of God that he can really transform your mm -hmm. life. And, and, um, but I remember the, the, um, the first time that I really felt hopeless, not just sad, but hopeless. And I remember thinking if I can just divorce my husband, because he's the reason I'm sad to begin with, he's the reason that I'm depressed. And if I can just divorce him, then, then I'll be happy. And uh, again, believing that lie. And so it set me on a path of starting to think differently about my marriage, believing even to the point that he didn't love me, that well, if he loved me, he'd stay home. He wouldn't be traveling. He would have become a pastor and not be traveling as evangelist. And um, I began to believe those lies. And uh, the Bible is so clear that it says that when you believe a thought that is against what God says about you, that you're to take that captive immediately, take it hold, wrestle it down and cast it aside. And I didn't do any of those things. I owned every thought that I had. I believed them until they became reality. And um, I remember the day that he came home and he announced that he had decided he was going to stop evangelizing and he was going to get off the road and he was going to start a church that God had called him and me because I was with him to come to Chillicothe and start a church, a ministry. And I remember in that moment, and I probably even said it, but I sure thought it. And I thought, well, you're too little and too late because by that point I felt like I was in a different place, a different mindset. And again, I was just so hopeless in the thought that I would ever be happy so he came to Chilcothy and he started open door and, and I would come sometimes with him, but I was so unhappy. And during that time, as I said, I began to entertain thoughts of divorce and, and leaving into two different times. I took Andrew, who was just a little fella. He was just a toddler. And I took him two different times and went to a, a hotel in Columbus. And I remember I had $49 to my name and uh, so much for thinking I was going to go start a new <laughs> life, right? But um, I went to a hotel with Andrew and I can remember that night of being in the hotel and feeling like I'm going to look in the Bible and thank God for the Gideons because they put the Bible <laughs> in the hotel room. And I can remember thinking I'm going to find in scripture where it endorses me and it backs up my thoughts and my plans, which is that I need to get away and, uh, and start a new life. And so I went through the Bible and of course I couldn't find anything that validated my feelings, validated the lies that I believed. And I knew at the end of that night that there was a war going on really for me, for, for probably what ended up being the ministry that now we serve in and serve the people in. But at that time I knew I had to go back home. And so I went back home, but I went back home with the mindset that well, I'm going to be home and I'm going to be miserable. But I'll do it, God, because this is what you're calling me to. And how foolish, because God says he has abundant life for you. And why was I settling for something so less than abundance and joy and peace and all the things that he promises his children? But I just believe that lie, that I would be depressed, that I would never be happy. Now, did you 
did you let anybody else in to that? Like, did you tell your family or did you have any friends that you talked to or anything? Or you just like kept it all to yourself and. Yeah. Um, I kept it all to myself. Mark knew obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but we didn't tell any family. We didn't tell anyone in the church. We didn't tell any friends. It was this big, ugly secret. And, uh, you know, two things that the enemy will really use against you is secrecy and silence. Mm -hmm. And I was silent and I kept that secret and he did as well because he didn't want people to think, I suppose, bad of me. And, um, and so no, we didn't tell anybody. And over that course of time, I began to believe a lie, even that Mark would be better off. He would have a better wife if I wasn't around. And, and like I told you at the beginning is that depression will take you to a place you never thought you would be in mm -hmm. because I would never have dreamt that I could have been in this state of mind that I would have been in this condition. But the enemy has a way of just bringing you down and down and down. And, and that's where I was. I was very dark and in a deep, depressive state. And uh, I remember starting to entertain the thought of, well, he would be better off if he had a different wife. And Andrew, who was, who was my world at that time. I'm, and it's interesting because I was a good mother and I was still a good wife. Like I was very functional. I worked. I did all the things. But when I was at home, I was just like so unhappy, so depressed. And I, I even like shudder to tell these stories because again, it's so removed from who I am. But there were times when I didn't want to get out of bed. I would lay in the bed. I'd cover my head up and just want the world to go away. And, um, and there were times when Mark would have to literally like get me out of the bed. Like he would have to lift me up. He would have to dress me, make me get dressed, take off my night clothes and put on regular clothing and go downstairs because I didn't want to face the day. And, um, and I can remember just starting to entertain those thoughts of, well, he'd be better off with somebody else because who wants this life? This isn't a good life for him. And it certainly wasn't a good life for me because I had put myself in that situation and in that mindset. And um, so I remember there was a day when I thought, I'm going to take my life. And um, I went to the bathroom and we had a medicine cabinet and I opened up the cabinet and there were pills in there. And honestly, I couldn't even tell you why we had pills. I'd had C-section with Andrew, so maybe they were pain pills. I can't even remember. Um, but I took that bottle and I held it in my hand and I looked at it. And I just knew all the things that we think because we believe those lies that yeah, it, it would be better. It would stop the pain. It would stop the torment. I felt tormented in my mind because I just couldn't find joy and peace. Even though God said I could have it, I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't fix myself. In fact, nobody could fix me. And that was really a hard realization to know that nobody could fix me. And I guess I believed that probably God couldn't even fix me. And so I stood there with those pills in my hand. I remember taking the lid off and I remember putting a handful in my hand and putting them in my mouth and swallowing them. And thank God, the redeeming power of God is that immediately, immediately, like an instant, I was so sorry. Like I was so sorry. And I called out to God. And I said, God, I don't want to die. I just want the pain to stop, but I don't want to die. And 
God in his mercy, and it was just mercy, I tell you, but I began to throw up, and I know that's not a pretty picture, so I'm sorry, <laughs> TMI, but I began to throw up, and thankfully, none of those pills went into my system, and I survived. I lived. Um, I didn't have to go to the hospital or anything. And um, I knew then that I was in trouble. I mean, like I was in trouble, like I'm in a bad place and I need help. And so I went to the phone book. And for those of you that are young, there's <laughs> used to be a book that had everybody's name and phone number in it. And uh, so I went to the phone book and I searched probably for mental health or maybe a hospital. I can't really recall. And I found Chilcotty Hospital. That's what it was called at the time. It was not Adina. And um, I don't think it was Adina. Anyways, I found a hotline. It was like a suicide hotline. And again, who would ever have dreamt that I would ever be in a place like this? But I was. And um, so I called this number and I told them my situation. And they said, oh, come in because we can help you. We can, you can come into the hospital and, and we can help you. And oh my goodness. I mean, in my mind, I thought, okay, great. This is awesome. They're going to take me in. And I was thinking like I was going to the Hilton or something. The Holiday Inn, because I was going to check in, and I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital, but they have those electric beds with the remote control, and there was a remote control on the TV, and we didn't have a remote control on our TV. We had to actually get up out of the chair and walk to the TV to turn the channel, and I thought, this is amazing. I can go and have like a little vacation, and I'll feel so much better tomorrow or the next day or the next day after being in this hospital. So I packed a suitcase, a suitcase now. And I took my curling iron and my makeup and my clothes and a razor and all the things for this for this hotel stay, if you will. And uh, I went to the hospital and uh, I checked myself in. So you didn't tell him? He actually did. I did. I okay. did tell him. He actually drove me. Okay. So he kept Andrew and then yes. drove you? Yes. He actually kept Andrew and drove me there. It was just a horrible time. I can't even imagine what he must have thought and what he must have felt like. And I can remember him looking at me and just feeling, and it probably was not true, but you know, when you're in that state, you believe things that are not true, as I said. And I can remember thinking, oh, you think I'm just worthless. Like I'm so horrible and like, you don't know what to do with me. And I didn't know what to do with myself, but I checked myself in. And I had a rude awakening because the moment I checked myself in, they took my suitcase and they took all the things out of my suitcase. They took my curling iron. I was like, why are you taking my curling iron? And they said, because you could strangle yourself. And I thought, well, no, I'm not going to kill myself now. I'm, I'm past that. I just want my curling iron. And then they took my razor and I said, why are you taking my razor? And they said, because you can cut yourself with your razor and hurt yourself. And and so in that moment, I began to just feel really stripped of any sort of dignity, if I had any left, which I probably didn't even have any left, but I began to feel really humiliated. And they put me in a room with somebody and uh, there was no power bed. There was no TV on the wall. There was no remote control. And um, shortly after that, they said, uh, come to the therapy room. You're going to have therapy. And uh, so I went to a therapy room with, I don't know, probably 10, 12 people. I'm not sure. We sat around a big rectangle table with chairs. And it's funny the things you remember because I remember sitting at that chair and just looking around and thinking, I must be crazy. 
I felt like I was crazy. And I mean, no offense by that word, but that's the best word to describe what was in my head at the time. And um, they gave us, this is so pitiful, but they gave us magazines and, um, and a piece of paper. And they said to tear out pictures of things that were good for you because probably everybody in there was suicidal as I had been. And uh, I remember sitting there tearing out pictures of like yogurt and apples and bananas and carrots. And they wouldn't give us scissors because we could hurt ourselves or someone else. So I was tearing them out. And the most surreal thing just began to happen is that as I'm sitting there tearing out and making this collage of things good for me, um, there was a woman across from me. And again, I mean, no disrespect at all, but she believed she was Loretta Lynn and Loretta Lynn was a country Western singer back in the day, very famous. And she had a very famous song called coal miners daughter. And so this woman believed she was Loretta Lynn and she would sit there while we were making our collage of things that were good for us. And she would sing coal miners daughter. And in that moment, I had this revelation from God, and it was just from him. But in that moment, I said to myself, wait a minute, like, what am I doing here? And I guess I can equate it to the story of the prodigal son, where he's in the pigsty, and he just thinks, like, I'm in a pigsty. I'm eating slop with the pigs. And that's what he said. That's what he saw. And he had this moment where he said, I'm going to go back home. Like it was this revelation. The Bible says that he came to himself. And in that moment of collage and Loretta Lynn and all those things swirling in my head, I came to myself. That's the best way I can describe it, Elena, was that it was though the light bulb came on. And I said to myself, like, I'm, like God has better for me than this. Like, this is not what God has for my life. And all the things just came rushing back. And I knew that, like, wait a minute, this, this is not what God has for me. This is not my expected end. Mm -hmm. This is not the plan for my life. And I have allowed the enemy to rob me of life and almost rob me of my life. And, um, and so I said to myself, I need to get out of here. And I went to the desk and said, I am better. I need to go home. And, uh, and they informed me very politely that when you are in, you're in for at least three days. And it was the weekend. So I would not be able to see the psychiatrist until the following Tuesday, I believe. And I was staying. And through just supernatural story and events, which is too long to tell, and I'll spare you the details, but God, within an hour, had me released from that unit and um and i was on my way back home and that was a supernatural move of god so i called mark and he came to pick me up and i remember just walking out of there feeling so defeated i mean like i don't know that i could get much lower and he took me home and it was a weekend and he was going to a meeting and i don't i can't really remember if he was going to church or open door or uh, if he was preaching somewhere else, I can't recall the specific details, but I remember very specifically 910 Briar Avenue, Washington courthouse going in the house and our bedroom was on the second floor. And I can remember walking up the bedroom, up, up the steps. And I remember that every step I took, 
it was like this cloak of shame just began to envelop me. And shame makes you feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. Shame makes you feel like I just didn't do something bad, but I am bad. Mm -hmm. Shame affects like your identity. Like Mm -hmm. you said, like I assumed that identity of sadness, which then became the identity of depression. And I just began to feel like God can't, God can't even love me. Like I'm unlovable. Like I'm a mess. My life is a wreck. I'm a mess and I have no right. Like I have a great husband. I have a great child. I have a good life. And yet I have wrecked my life. And every step I took up that stairway, it was the shame just kept like piling upon me, piling upon me, piling upon me until I got to the top of that steps. And I truly just felt hopeless and I was done. And, um, I want to take a quick break and shout out to my partners. Um, first off, Roast Coffee. They are located at 107 East 2nd Street over in the Fort Collective. If you have not been there yet, you need to go. If you are listening to this and you don't live in Chillicothe, Ohio, when you come to town, if you ever come to visit for anything, that needs to be your one-stop shop for coffee. It, they have the best coffee. They have the best drinks. It is winter time, so I highly suggest the London Fog. It's actually a tea, um, but it literally is like comfort in a cup. And on these cold, harsh days, it just makes you feel like somebody's giving you a nice hug. Um, aside from that, the Cubano is always, always, always the best option. And if you're like me and you just like black coffee, um, you can get the Americano. It is fantastic. Best, best coffee. Cannot recommend them enough. Go check them out. Also Sweet William Blossom Boutique. It's located right down the street from Roast at 90 West 2nd Street. So again, if you haven't been to either one of these places, go get some coffee and then go down the street and go check out Annie and her staff and get you either some beautiful floral arrangements or pick up their chocolate covered strawberries. Oh my goodness. Um, You can check them out online. You can check Roast out also. They both have Facebook and Instagram. Go check them out. Go check their specials right now. Um, In winter, they have homemade chicken noodle soup over at Sweet William. Um, It's fantastic. They only offer it on Thursdays, so you'll need to go check all that out and get the information because it is legit some of the best chicken noodle soup that I have ever had in my whole entire life. You can buy it for yourself. You can send it to someone who is sick um, as a perfect pick-me-up. Um, they just are the best. They have everything. And last but not least, Maggie and Me Candle Company. You can check them out at several of the small businesses downtown. They sell them all over Chillicothe. And then they also sell them online, maggieandme.shop. Best, best candles. They are safe. They are homemade. They are hand poured. They are made with so much love. Their scents last that um, it fills up my whole house and it smells so good right now. I have the iced lemon biscotti burning. I actually picked that up from High Five Cakes um, and it is one of my absolute favorite scents. Oh my goodness. Everybody who has walked in my house has been like, what is that smell? It smells so good. So go check them out, get you some candles. All three of these businesses are just fantastic. They've got the best products, the best 
um, customer service, the best everything. So go check them out. And when you do, be sure to let them know that Elena sent you. So I'm at the top of the steps. And as I said, every step was just this battle of just like heaviness. And you know, depression is heavy. It's weighty. Like it feels like it pushes you down, like it holds you down. And part of that is physical, but also part of it is very spiritual. And, um, and so I just felt like I had dredged, trudged up the steps and, um, I walked to my bed and oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know that anybody could, I don't know that I could have been any lower than I was at that moment. I felt worthless. I felt hopeless. I felt honestly, probably like a piece of trash. I felt like unlovable all the things I was used up. I was done. I was so desperate, so desperate. And I just didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how, how would I ever come out of this pit? How would I ever, how would I ever laugh again? How would I ever smile again? How would I ever be okay again? And all that was just so unfamiliar. As I said, like I hadn't, I never dealt with that before. And here I am in this horrid place. And, and I walked to my bed and I, again, I just was so beyond done. And I threw myself on the bed and I know that sounds so dramatic, but that's the way it was. It was just like, I'm, I'm done. Like literally just threw myself on the bed and I was on my stomach and, um, I cried out to God and I always get really emotional because the scripture says that we cry out to God and he hears us and he comes to us and he delivers us. And um, I don't know that I ever really believed all the scripture until I lived it. And once you live something, it changes you. And I cried out to God and I don't even know if I even thought, I don't even know if I even believed he would hear me or that he would listen or that anything would change in my life. But I was just so low and I cried out to God and I said, God, if you don't help me, I'm going to die. And I knew that somehow I would die that like I couldn't, I wouldn't survive this. And I didn't, I didn't want to die, but I didn't know what to do. And when I cried out to God, I'm so ever grateful because in that moment, and, and this is like unimaginable for some people, and it was for me too, but in that moment, it was as though, it was as though there was something that came alive in me that had been inside of me, but dormant my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I'd been saved and I'd been sanctified because that's the way we were raised. And, um, but we didn't believe much in like the Holy spirit other than he was part of the Trinity. Um, and I didn't really understand anything about being filled with the Holy spirit or that even really he could live inside of us. I just was a Christian. And uh, in that moment, when I said, God, I'm going to die if you don't help me in that moment, <laughs> in that moment, I, had this language come out of me that is otherworldly and it, it was tongues. 
And immediately, like I heard it and I said to myself, I don't believe in that. I can't do this <laughs> because I didn't believe in it. Like I had never believed in that. And yet God, God in his goodness and his mercy and his ever never ending love wasn't turned off by my depression. He wasn't freaked out by my suicidal thoughts. He wasn't disgusted with my behavior. It was as, God, as though God himself came off the throne and got right down in front of me in that bed. I can remember every moment of that, of feeling like God was right in front of me. And, you know, people think that, like, we go to God, like, oh, I, I came to my senses and I went to God. Now I'm telling you, God came to me mm -hmm. because I wasn't in any condition to go to God. He came to me. And when God comes to you, he will not let you go. And God, for whatever reason, wanted me. <laughs> and, and, you know, in that state, I couldn't even understand. I couldn't even believe that he would love me, let alone want me. But now in understanding the, the vastness of the grace and mercy of God, I understand. But in that moment, I couldn't. But all I knew was that God, in that moment, it was as though he wrapped himself around me. And of course, that language that came out immediately, I stopped it because I didn't believe in that. And yet God had put it in me because it's not something I would ever have intentionally done. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it was a foreign thing to me. In fact, I thought these people, I don't even get what they're doing. Like how I don't understand it at all. And yet God had superseded and like the Holy Spirit had come in such a way that like took over like my thoughts and my prayers and my words and and in that moment, <laughs> it was as though I came alive, something in me. And I say that like God flipped a switch in me and something came alive for the first time. And the first time in so long, like a couple years that I had dealt with this depression, I had hope. Like it was like, oh my God, like God, like I I'm going to be okay. Like somehow you're going to change. Somehow, somehow I'm going to be fixed. Somehow I'm going to be healed. Somehow I'm going to be set free from this torment. Somehow I'm going to be okay. And, and somehow I'm going to have joy again. Somehow I'm going to have peace. Somehow I'm going to, did I even dare think that someday you might even use me? Like <laughs> in that moment, there was just this unbelievable hope. It's the best way I can describe it. And, and it wasn't that I was all better and it wasn't that I was, instantly not depressed anymore because when I got up off the bed, I still had to deal with depression. It wasn't an instantaneous healing. And I know some people get instantaneously healing. We've seen it, Elena, mm -hmm. you've seen it. Mm -hmm. But for me, it wasn't that way. For me, it was a battle. Mm -hmm. But in that moment of that bed encounter with God, that moment of that encounter with God he infused his Holy Spirit in which me in me, and he came to live inside of me in a different way. And I had hope that I was going to be better, that I was going to be okay. And so that started me on a path of believing differently about myself, like believing what the Bible said, that he loved me, that he had a plan for my life, that I was his workmanship. Mm -hmm. That before he formed me in my mother's womb, he had a plan for my life. 
thought it was a good plan, then he had that expected end that I had thought was my plan. He had a plan that was far better than my plan. And um, it set me on a path of thinking differently. And as you think, so you become. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, as you think in in your heart, so are you. Mm -hmm. So the more that I began to think and believe and come into agreement with what the word said about me, the more my thoughts begin to change. And as my thoughts begin to change, my behavior began to change and my feelings began to change. And that dark cloud that had like shrouded me began to lift. And, um, now how long, and I don't know if you even remember this or not, but like, how long did all of that take? Like how long of a process was it? Uh, I really probably cannot give you an exact amount of time, but I would say a few months, probably like four five, six months. Um, and every day was a little bit better, like every day, but understand like it wasn't just all supernatural. Right. It was you, you had to, you had to put in the work and you had to fight through it. Yes. And I feel like part of the reason that a lot of people never really get healed, they never really get free is because it's a lot of work. It's hard work. It's uncomfortable work. It's painful. It's ugly at times. It's facing that, that ugliness and dealing with it. Um, but I knew that in that moment of, of God coming to me Mm -hmm. that I had hope that I was going to get better. Do you remember a time, like, do you, you have that moment, that pivotal moment where it shifted? Yes. Do you have a moment where you felt it completely break off like once and for all? No, I can't say it was like an instant, like a supernatural moment. It was a progression until I remember one day thinking, wait a minute, like I've had a good day today. And I can remember, um, I remember specifically like people in our church. And and I think that when I talk about doing the, the hard things in order to get better, they are hard things because you have to believe the word and you have to believe what God says about you. And that's hard for people, mm-hmm. particularly if people had been hurt or abused or been through really hard upbringings. And I had not, but I know that a lot of people have, and it's very hard to believe that you're lovable and, and that, you know, God loves you and has a good thing for you. But I knew that that encounter had changed me. And, and I think that if you're listening to me today, you need to seek out God somehow. You need to be open for him to come to you like I was. Maybe it's a point of desperation, but to have an encounter with God. But the second thing that was really important for me was that I didn't isolate. Mm-hmm. And remember I said that like shame makes you, it makes you feel like you're unworthy. It, it makes you silent. It makes you have secrets, keep things hidden. And, and like people hide, like we hide behind a mask. We hide behind like pretending that and people come to church every Sunday. I did. And I would pretend that everything was fine in my life and I was dying on the inside. But I, I didn't isolate and I came to church and I was honest and I was transparent because they had to know that this is who I am and I need to get better. And I had a group of community of people that loved me through that ugliness, loved me through that hard time. They saw something in me that I didn't see in me. 
they had hope for me when days that I didn't feel like I had hope. And, um, and they loved me through that hard time. And I can remember um, just moments of people telling me like, tomorrow will be a better day and tomorrow will be a better day. And, and every day there were days that there were days, yes, that I felt like I had to step back and like I had to struggle harder that day. And the struggle was harder that day, I should say. And, and I had to work harder. But honestly, when I had that encounter with God and it just began there, it was as though I put my hand to the plow and I said, I'm not going back. Like I am going forward and I didn't go back. Like I just kept moving forward. And so I had that encounter with God and, and I kept going to church and, and I was transparent and I let people see who I really am. And, and I think that was part of the reason that it was hard to tell the story for a long time in my life is because it is an ugly story. And, and I didn't want people to see that side of me because it's so far removed from mm -hmm. who I am now. It's as though that person was such a different person. I look back and it's been so many years now, like 40 years. But when I look back at that person, no, it was like 30 years, sorry. But when I look back at that person, I don't know that person anymore. My children don't know that person. Mm -hmm. Like I only had one child at the time and, and he was just a toddler. So he doesn't know that. My daughter, Alexandra, my son, Austin, even Andrew, who was a baby at the time, they don't know that side of me. And when I would tell that story, I felt shame and embarrassment that they wouldn't hear that part of their mother because that was a foreigner to them. But when I tell you that God has the ability to really heal you and set you free, mm -hmm. it's not an exaggeration. It's not some word that some preacher tells you to make you excited. It is the absolute truth. Yeah. Because honestly, whenever that moment came, and again, I don't remember the exact day where like, boom, I'm free. It was a progression. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you that after that time when, when I was really healed and, and God did many things that would be far too long for a podcast. But, but then I never, ever, ever had another day of depression, not ever, mm -hmm. not even a depressive thought, never a thought of suicide. And, 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 and I believe that it corresponds to the word because it says who the sun sets free is free indeed. Yeah. And that means that when he does the work, it doesn't come back. Yeah. And I thank God that he did the work. I thank God that that person is, is no longer and that I truly am a different person. I I've been transformed. And, and honestly, if God can do it in me, he can do it in you. He can do it in anybody. I'm nothing special. I'm nobody special. I'm just somebody that, that believed what he said. Yeah. So, you know, you had talked in the very, very beginning of all the statistics and just how, you know, rampant depression is yes. and stuff now. So um, there's a good chance that um, people that are listening know someone who is struggling through mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. um, what are some things that either people said or did to you or for you or that you wish like looking back, if you think, I wish I would have told people and I, this could have really helped uh -huh, me. Uh -huh. Well, yes, that in particular, 
um, as I said, we kept it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, when I went into one a, which was the hospital, Mm -hmm. um, I had to call my mother to come and get Andrew and, uh, she was clueless. Like she had no idea, like what in the world are you doing? What are you doing here? Where, where are you at? Why, why? She was completely confounded because she had never known that I was even depressed. Mm -hmm. And that depression went on for probably about a year and a half to two years. And none of our family knew at that point, the people in our church didn't know. Um, it was this secret that we just didn't let anybody in. And I wish that I would have, but there was so much shame involved right. and I had, there's this internal voice of judgment that says, Oh, if people know they really won't like you. Yeah. Like if people know, they'll think you're really off the deep end. If people know <laughs> they won't come to your husband's church. Yeah. And I thought all those things. And, um, and so I wish that I would have been able to have, I wish if I could go back that I would have done that. I think it would have had a much quicker ending. I think that I would have, been able to tell people and be honest and be real and be vulnerable. Vulnerability is a huge thing when you're going through something. Transparency is a huge thing mm -hmm. for something when you go through something. And uh, I think about being vulnerable a lot. And Brene Brown, I don't know if you guys follow her. She's an, an author and she does a lot of podcasts, but she has a saying and it goes something like this, that vulnerability is our greatest measure our greatest measure of courage. Mm -hmm. And I believe that because I was really afraid of anybody knowing yeah. what I was really going through and who I really was. And I was afraid they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they would not like me. They wouldn't accept me. They would reject me. And, um, it's fear yeah, for people to see the real you. So when you did expose it and you did open up and you were vulnerable, um, was there anything that's, that people did or said that was really helpful that you would encourage other people to do? Yes. Um, I mean, my family came around me and they encouraged me, my husband, Oh God, love his soul. He's a saint because he loved me when I felt like I wasn't lovable. And, um, just let me tell you that he restored our marriage. God's restored our marriage and it's been wonderful and, and it's great. And we've been married now 38 years. And uh, so he was, he was a pillar and a real reason that I was able to walk through the healing that I did, but also the community of church, our church family. It's not just, it's not just church. It's not just mm -hmm. a congregation. It's just not a community. They're family, mm -hmm. family. And I can remember, Oh my gosh, I can remember so many times that, I would go to the altar because we had an altar and we believe that when we go to the altar, we pray and we meet God there. And, and, and I know God, you can pray with God anywhere to God, anywhere driving in your car, just don't close your eyes, <laughs> but you can meet God anywhere. But I would go to the altar and I would kneel down. And I would just pour out my heart to God because I just wanted to be better. And I can remember our our church family just coming around me, particularly the women and they would just come and they would hug me and they would hold me and they would pray with me and they, they would pray for me and they would encourage me. And I can remember they would tell me things like, you know, one day, one day you're going to, one day you're going to tell this story and it's going to help people. And I can remember thinking that's crazy. 
Like, how could this ugly story ever help people? And, um, and I felt that way, but, but I think sometimes that God does what we seem to think I'm crazy. He is mm -hmm. crazy. He does those crazy things in our life that seem unimaginable. But our, but our church family really came around me and they prayed for me. They didn't judge me. They never put me down. They never said, what's wrong with you? You have a great life. What's the matter with you? I think they knew that, that the enemy really was against me and against our family and against the, even the beginning of that, that new church work at the time. And uh, I can remember so many times I can remember, oh, I don't even want to name names because there were so many of them. And some of them are still very active and part of our church. And I don't want to name names because they'll, they'll, if I forget someone, forgive me, but I can remember just so many of them writing me little notes or sending me a scripture or something that just gave me hope for that day. And I remember that I can't remember if someone told me if I just found it on my own, if there was a part of a scripture, but the scripture that really just, I grabbed a hold of and like sunk my teeth into and didn't let go was Isaiah 61. And it talks about, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon you because he's anointing you to preach good news. And, and later on, this is what Jesus reads in the temple over in the gospels, but it's this passage. And then it begins to tell you that what God has for you. And it says that he has oil of joy instead of mourning. And he has dancing for you and he has peace and he has blessing and he come to set you free. And I began to believe that somewhere along the scripture. And then what was amazing was if you read down that passage and we won't take time to read it, but I encourage everybody to go and read that passage. It is the passage that is my favorite in all of the scripture. But if you read on down a little further in chapter 61, it says that instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And I couldn't even fathom that I would ever even have honor because I felt so unhonorable, if that's a word, <laughs> dishonorable. And uh, I can remember just feeling like, well, I don't know that I'll ever have that. But this is the goodness of God is he just doesn't promise us honor. He promises this abundance. Yeah. More than enough. Yeah. More than you expect. Double. And uh, that's always been mind blowing to me. Yeah. And he gave it. I mean, as somebody who is on this side of it and who, you know, was not there then and did <laughs> not see that and has never seen any trace of that. Um, but as someone who also who has been a part of the church for 13 years, mm -hmm. um, I can say that has been true, you know, that you have received double honor. You know, you have, you have a church, you have a family, you have friends, you have, you know, just a, a huge ministry that expands well past Chillicothe, well past the United States for that matter, of people who have been touched and impacted and loved by you and whose lives are changed through you and through your ministry and who, you know, it, you know, the Bible talks about how with, you know, Proverbs 31, like their children will rise up and call them blessed. And I look at you and I see your children, your grandchildren, mm -hmm. but then all of these spiritual children who rise up and call you blessed. And so, you know, you have received double honor. Well, the, those words really humble me, and thank you um, 
it's just by the grace of God. It's by the goodness of God. And, and uh, it's, it's just him. It's just the goodness of God. And I thank God that he loved me. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't love me any more than he loves anybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, so God has that same healing and freedom for all of you. And, and, uh, and I, if God can use a story to help people, then it's a story worth telling. And I want to tell you again that you have a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone listening has a story. And your story can help somebody. Yeah. And uh, you never know how far that story will go. You never know who will hear that story. And and God has been gracious and, and far, far more blessing than I ever, ever felt that I deserved. And isn't that what grace is? Mm-hmm. Is that it's really unearned? It's just the unmerited favor of yeah. God, because there's nothing I could do. Even yeah. on my best day, I'm still not worthy. If yeah. there is a best day, like I'm still I. But the good news is, you don't have to fight, or you don't have to work for God's favor or His love, because it's given before we even loved Him. Yeah. Whenever she finishes telling her story, there's a part of me that gets sad because I think, oh no, I don't want it to end. But the good news is that it's not completely over because we are going to have a part two with her. So don't you worry, (laughs) you will get to hear more from her and she is going to join us next week and chat with us about hearing from the Lord and, you know, Pastor Nikki has this gift of hearing from the Lord. She teaches others um, just kind of how to hear from the Lord, how to be sensitive to hear what he's speaking. And she is getting ready to relaunch her, it's called Fire School for the Prophetic. And it is a school that uh, I went through when we first joined the church several years, about 10 or 11 years ago. And it changed my whole life. And so she's getting ready to relaunch it again. And I'm so, so, so excited about that and for that. And so next week, she's just going to join us and and talk to us about her journey of learning to hear from the Lord. And she's got stories upon stories upon stories, and we're going to get to hear some of those. And I promise you will not want to miss it. So have a fantastic week and Join us back here next week for a really, really special episode, part two, with Pastor Nikki Pfeiffer.